Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, and thanks for listening and making a commitment to your learning. We hope that you are doing well. We're your hosts. I'm Yvonne Brandenburg. I'm joined by Jordan Porter. Hey. Hi. You kind of said that with a weird accent. I did? Yeah, you said Jordan. Jordan Porter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. It's Jordan Porter. I probably, I don't know, like swallowed my tongue Soft or D. something. I don't even know. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then our guest for this week in her last episode, I don't know if I can handle this, is uh, Brittany Laughlin. Hey. I can't believe you stuck it out with us for this long. <laughs> I know. I figured she'd run screaming by now. <laughs> it's like people will comment and say that they really enjoy listening to us and that we're fun to listen to. And then I'm like, no, we're not. Like, <laughs> there's no way. But then Brittany hung out with us for six weeks. I mean, what else do I have to do? Okay, well, thanks. <laughs> She's like, ooh, well. She's like, let's drop you down a peg. <laughs> no, it's been great. I'm glad I got to do this and help you guys out. Yeah, it's been fun. And and I feel like um, there's some of our higher listened episodes, which is pretty cool. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, we've wow. had a lot of downloads on, oh. on some of your days. So apparently they really, really like the neuro. All my fans out there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my, I'm going to start my own podcast my now. Three no. <laughs> fans. <laughs> three I think fans. you have more than three. Yeah, yeah you have more than three. <laughs> uh, so in case you don't know who Brittany is, right? Uh, she is an RVT. She has her VTS in neurology, which means she knows about brain stuff. We don't know as much about brain stuff. Although, you know, we have five episodes that we sound smarter in yeah I learned a lot like especially like doing the episodes and then re-listening to them to edit them yeah, yeah, like, oh, yeah. that's what she was talking about okay cool it's like where was this when I was trying to study and make sure I covered all the grounds of like making sure I had a little bit of every subspecialty right. in my brain right. <laughs> like I wish I could have had these episodes like in school when we were doing neurology because mm-hmm. I remember being yeah. like okay cool what <laughs> yeah it, it goes back to that whole like back to basics are seriously like my favorite episodes that's where I always learn the most yeah yeah not that not that this episode is really a basic episode but I think it's a no but like going back to these that we original talk about a lot like even if you're not in neurology I think this is one that I remember hearing about it in school like hmm. doesn't mean I knew much about it I just remember it mentioned (laughs) (laughs) so um this week we're gonna be so our episode this week is masticatory myositis did i say it right this time yes (laughs) thank god because i i had to practice um so we're gonna talk about when our muscles are getting attacked uh this is uh race approved ce so uh if you want to get your ce certificate it is in the internal medicine for vet text membership um 
podcast course. So you would need to be a member to get that. Uh, if you're not a member in most places, you can use it for self-study or, you know, if you're studying for tests or boards or whatever, obviously this is going to be a good one to just listen to for educational purposes. Um, and then do we have, do we have any questions before we, uh, jump into this week's episode? Not that I've received. Um, I think everybody's still like kind of recovering from the holidays. Plus <laughs> January has been weird. What it's like Ooh, we're yeah. only a few days in and so far it's been wild Yeah, chaotic, which we will not touch base on because we are IMF VT only. <laughs> we talk yeah. about internal medicine things. Um, I will say this though, for all of you that are out there that are super stressed about just the world in general, take a breath, (laughs) Um, maybe disconnect from things, including, you know, maybe a podcast if you have to, but just disconnect, take it some time to just um, (laughs) chill, relax, breathe. Self-care. Self-care. Yeah, definitely. We've been discussing self-care a lot lately. (laughs) Yeah. I feel, I feel like there might be a series that we're going to have to do on this because there definitely will be. Cause I think, I mean, I'll admit that I've been suffering (laughs) like, yeah. I've been yeah. hurting a little. Um, it's been it's been <laughs> it's been rough, and the holidays didn't help. the The fact that it's winter didn't help. So, anyways, we're gonna deal with that stuff at some other point. But uh, yeah, so you know, take care of yourselves. We're gonna talk about this last neuro subject, and then Brittany gets to kind of have her regular life again instead of spending <laughs> a bunch of time with us. <laughs> I mean, and, uh, if you ever want me to come back, I'll come back and help with other stuff too, you know. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> we have what? It. <laughs> That's recorded for forever. I know. She's she's gonna be like, I never said that. And we're she's like, like uh-huh. mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, you did on this episode right here, episode 65, girl. <laughs> she's like, shoot. <laughs> I take it all back. Uh, I'm kind of a, a, I don't know. I feel like it's weird. I just am the type of person that I just really like knowledge and, and understanding things and yeah, totally learning makes you super and weird. all that stuff, but you can't relate. But I also like trying to relate it back to other people too. You know, like that's why my job is so amazing is that I get to learn all this cool stuff and then also get to explain it to, you know, little baby students and yeah, that don't know more. And so I just, I, you know, I believe it's called hashtag I'm a nerd. (laughs) I believe that is uh, the definition of that hashtag. (laughs) That's the official medical term. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) We're we're here for it though. That's what we live for. (laughs) I think you're in the right group of people. (laughs) All right, Miss Brittany, are you ready to uh, dive into the last one for the series? For sure. All right. Take Um, it away, lady. This one is kind of a, a nice one to end on, I think, because it's somewhat simple compared to some of the other heavier, more intensive things that we've talked about already. So it's kind of a nice like little cherry on the top of all of the things we've talked about. So, um, so masticatory myositis. Um, this is basically just an autoimmune mediated inflammation of specifically the masticatory muscles. So we're talking about the, like the temporalis and master and pterygoid or whatever that is up there. And just so, remember this is, we're talking like 
the head. So. Yes. Yeah, the uh, muscles of mastication. So what you use to open and close your jaw, exactly. um, to chew on things and whatever. Mm-hmm. Talk. <laughs> right. Record a podcast. <laughs> Record a podcast. Right. Um, so generally speaking, skeletal muscles divided into two groups. So there's type one muscle fibers, and this is what people refer to as like slow twitch fibers. And then there's type two muscle fibers that are the fast twitch, right? Um, so we've all probably at least heard that, that there's these different, and that getting deep into the physiology of that, I felt like was going to be too boring. It has to do with how like all of those units function together, the like actin and myosin and, you know, right. blah, 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 how, you know, muscle physiology. Um, anyway, masticatory muscles. So those muscles in the head and jaw, um, have histochemically different muscle fiber type. They're type two fibers, but they're histochemically different. So they're called type two N fibers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's unclear why this happens, but for some reason, autoantibodies begin to be produced against the proteins that are found in those type two M muscle fibers. Mm. So it's specific to those muscles of mastication and not to any other skeletal muscles. This is why you'll see specifically myositis in the head, but it's not a polymyositis, you know, it's not their whole body that's happening. It's because it's specific to those two M muscle fibers. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah. I will say when I was like a baby tech uh, and like just learning about this stuff in my, you know, not seeing it written down and not having the chance to read up about it and stuff, you know, they still, the doctors and stuff will talk about like, oh, we're going to send off, you know, 2M titers. And I just always thought it was 2M because it's masticatory myositis, like 2M, like we're just shortening. I'm not even going <laughs> to lie up until about uh, two minutes ago. I also thought that- I was <laughs> oh, today like, years old. Was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was today years old and I found out, no, it's 2M because that's the type of muscle fiber, not because it's called masticatory myositis. <laughs> Look at I, me learning. I, I didn't even, like, oh, that, wait, when you started describing that, I was like, wow, how did I not know that they're right. called 2M muscles fibers, right. not masticatory myositis. <laughs> it's not M squared. It's Roman And then, see, that's what, I made a joke about that, like, a while back where I was like, it shouldn't be 2M, it should be M squared. <laughs> and apparently it's not. So... This is, again, this is why we get someone with a VTS in neurology to talk about these things instead of Jordan and I, because we've been like, it stands for masticatory myositis, the two M's. Hmm. Uh, see, hmm. more you know. Perfect. So yeah, so this is why when we have this um, inflammation, it's specific to the masticatory muscles, like I said, and it's not um, affecting other skeletal muscles. Um, and the result of this antibody production is just acute inflammation and pain, specifically in those masticatory muscles. And then ultimately with chronicity, there will be muscle atrophy yeah. um, and fibrosis. And that's typically going to be a bilateral process, right? So if you have antibodies in your body, they're not generally going to just attack one side of your body. <laughs> right. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause it's like, um, but it's worth mentioning because there are, there are, you know, 
quote unquote neuro, neuro diseases that maybe would cause like unilateral um, muscle loss. So like a trigeminal neuritis or something like that maybe mm. um, would produce unilateral muscle atrophy. So if you see it unilaterally, it's a little less likely that it's going to be masticatory myositis hmm. specifically. That makes sense. You know? And, um, I, when I talk to people about what that looks like too, with like the atrophy of the muscles, Mm -hmm. I talk about patients, like just to see what it looks like, right. Is like your old patients that have a bunch of muscle wasting. Like you'll see that in their head as well. Chronic pred patients. Chronic pred. The difference is the rest of their body looks normal. Right. Right. So that's the big difference is it's not everywhere. It's just in those muscles in the head, which, mm-hmm. um, it, it is, it is, um, when you see that atrophy though, it is, it is pronounced and most people definitely pay attention to that. Uh, yeah. Clients will definitely talk about that part. Yeah. If they have a breed that's not particularly fluffy, cause it True. is, you know what I mean? The <laughs> yeah. dogs that have a, like really thick coats and really dense fur, sometimes you, you can't see it, but you can definitely palpate it. I think um, like when I've had clients like notice it early, they'll notice that like little notch on yeah, the top of their skull bump on the top. first versus like noticing. Yeah. Like the pred head, but they're the like ox- well, the- occipital protuberance. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That, um, <laughs> wow. yeah, they just, they're like, it's just more pronounced than normal. Yeah. Or the, they'll come in thinking that the dog like injured themselves on them. Mm-hmm. So right? they're like, what is this? What, what He's is got this a knot on his head. You're like, it's not a growth. It's just yeah. a bone. <laughs> yeah. 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 So when they come in, I mean, this is something that can happen to any breed of dog at any age. It tends to be younger adults and large, larger breeds. Um, I think in some of the literature, like German shepherds are fairly highly represented. I don't know if I've had a German shepherd, to be honest. I feel like the patients I can think of are just all across the board different. I've had like a, I've definitely had German shepherds and, and, um, I've had a Rottweiler. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they tend to be a little bit larger, but it could definitely be any, any breed of dog. Um, and it's relatively rare in cats because cats, you know, do their own thing. (laughs) um typically it's going to have an acute onset uh, of painful swelling of the muscles in their head so sometimes you'll have an owner set come in because their head is looking swollen and set or that they're Mm -hmm. sensitive about being pet on the head and they're worried about that because those muscles are very tense and swollen um potentially even like warm you know that like Mm. inflammation just causing like heat emanating from the muscles um, can be very painful. Um, to me, probably the most common presentation that we will get is some degree of lockjaw um, or dysphagia. So the owners will come in and say, hey, my dog's having trouble eating. The food's falling out of his mouth. He can't seem to open his mouth very well. Often they'll come through ER because they'll think, you know, maybe they're like not necessarily choking something. on something, yeah. but they have like something stuck or, you know, and then you'll come to find that they really can't they cannot open their mouths um, because those muscles are so swollen. It's too mm. painful to do it. Um, and you can kind of, if you've ever had your wisdom teeth taken out, it's a little bit similar, right? It hurts to open and close your jaw because those muscles are so um, inflamed. So it makes sense a little bit. 
<laughs> if you've ever experienced that. Um, they can sometimes that doesn't get noticed though, the swelling um, and if they don't have really pronounced uh, dysfunction in their jaw, then they might come in later with that muscle wasting um, that Jordan was talking about that people are coming in because they're like, my dog's head is shaped weird now because he's got this like little bump on the back or maybe it's like, yeah, some he bumped his head on something or, you know. So it kind of comes in one or the other fashion, typically. <laughs> How soon did they notice? <laughs> yeah. um, so history-wise, like I said, a lot of times they, owners probably have noticed some amount of dysphagia. So they maybe are dropping their food or seem like they're maybe even uninterested in eating because mm -hmm. the chewing motion is obnoxious and painful to them. So they maybe are, have gone off food a little bit. Um, we've it's had a worth couple present to that, like they're normally like heavy chewers, like yeah. they love chewing on a nyla bone or sticks or whatever. And then all of a sudden they just stop doing that and people go, Oh, it must be his teeth. Mm, like, yeah. No, not teeth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, another thing that owners might just assume is going on is they might, you know, we talk to them all the time about making sure their dog's teeth are clean and stuff. And that maybe they would think it's a a sore tooth or something mm -hmm. that might be a presenting complaint too. Um, so worth asking if they've experimented with feeding them at all. Like, do they do better with wet food or dry food or, you know, mm -hmm. does it seem like it makes a difference? Um, sometimes owners will notice the drinking, you know, maybe their dog is typically not a very messy drinker, but now there's like it's water everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're kind of, unable to, to do that motion very effectively anymore. So it makes it more difficult and they kind of aren't as tidy about it. <laughs> mm. um, and then just asking if they're otherwise health, healthy. Um, Cause like we kind of mentioned already that muscle atrophy that may be why they're coming in could be present with anything else. So if they have Cushing's or hypothyroidism or some other endocrine disease, chronic steroids, um, things like that to just double check if maybe there's some specific underlying reason for it before we get into the um diagnosing the myositis you know what i mean yeah i i definitely i mean cushing's for sure is going to show that muscle atrophy but i think people forget about hypothyroidism like mm -hmm. um i, I feel, feel like, like everything is a clinical sign of hypothyroidism <laughs> you're like oh it's all of it hypothyroid cool <laughs> yeah i just you know i don't like endocrine yeah. stuff so I feel like anything I read, Aww. it'll be like, it could be this disease or it could be hypothyroidism. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so right. any, any clinical sign is clinical for hypothyroid. Gotcha. Oh my God. So true. <laughs> um, and then just, you know, double checking current medications, especially if they're on steroids or if they're on any other medications that maybe, um, could be contributing to this. And then just general health stuff too, you know, just checking, checking on how they're doing otherwise. Um, so differentials, mm -hmm. I already kind of mentioned, um, is this bilateral or unilateral muscle wasting? And if it's unilateral, we may need to consider some other potential diagnoses like trigeminal nerve issues. So they could have trigeminal neuritis, there could be um, peripheral nerve sheath tumor in the trigeminal nerve, um, or it could be idiopathic trigeminal disease. Um, I will say, that trigeminal, so the trigeminal nerve is a cranial nerve, um, and it innervates the muscles of mastication. So it provides the nervous energy 
to the muscles so that they can, you know, contract and relax and all that. Um, trigeminal neuritis's presentation is the opposite of this though. So if they have a trigeminal neuritis, they have like a dropped jaw. They have like a floppy lower jaw that just kind of mm. flops around and you can close their mouth, but it'll just flop back open because they just can't, they don't have the muscle the ability the muscle to keep their mouth closed, you know? And so they mm. tend to look really funny and they pant in a funny way too. Like if they're sitting, sitting in front of you panting, they can't draw their lips back when they pant. So they kind of pant with like an O-shaped mouth <laughs> because their lips are relaxed. Oh. So their mouth is just open with a rounded opening instead of pulling their mouth back and having the like hey, smiling pants, you know? If that makes sense. Yeah. To get more airflow. Um, yeah. So that's how those would look a, a, a little bit different, but, um, you know, every disease has its abnormal presentations for things. So maybe <laughs> it's a masticatory myositis that just is unilateral or just looks a little bit different. And then again, steroid induced muscle atrophy, um, worth considering other, um, temporomandibular joint disease. So do they have like some arthritis or something in there? Do they have some crazy foreign body that's jammed up in their cheekbone? Like who, mm -hmm. who knows, you know, so worth considering that. And then also consider a polymyositis as well. If they have other, um, signs of like lameness, kind of lethargy, mm -hmm. painfulness aside just from their head. I would think too, like, mm -hmm. depending on where you are, like I think of like tick-borne disease could potentially be something that you'd have to yeah. look yeah, for. Yeah, that's what I was thinking know? of too. And like, yeah. I don't know, it makes me think of like my first distemper case I ever saw. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Because yeah. they had like a, it was like this hound dog that had his jaw like stuck open. And yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That was like his only symptom. Well, it started with that. Then he eventually just became more like rigid. Yeah, <laughs> just progress. And that's true too, um, which I guess I didn't include on this list, but um, tetanus is definitely a thing too. And um, animals can absolutely get um, focal tetanus in their face. I've had a few patients that present like that. They come with this very kind of worried look on their face because that's what the tetanus does is it tightens the muscles up and makes their faces look concerned all the time. And it's just in their face and it doesn't end up progressing to the rest of their body. So potentially it could be, yeah, like a focal facial tetanus issue as well. Diagnostically, <laughs> um, right. the, it's kind of the, the huge, I will say though, sometimes this is something that maybe they mm. came in for something else entirely and it gets kind of accidentally discovered, <laughs> Yeah, um, especially through anesthesia, because when they're, you know, when you have anesthesia technicians opening the mouth and, and trying to intubate and you can't get their mouth to open, even with medications on board, mm -hmm. you know, the, the text will be like, Oh my gosh, I can't, this is difficult to intubate because I can't get their mouth open wide enough to be able to see. And they might have to, you know, blindly intubate or something. Um, so it could be that that gets incidentally found, um, potentially we, you know, have it the other way around where, <laughs> we have to warn them that like, you might not, you might have some trouble with intubating these guys right. because yeah. their mouth does not open that wide. Um, lab work wise, it's the usual stuff. So CBC, ACAM, UA, T4 maybe. Um, but there is specific titers for this. They're called the 2M antibody titers. Um, 
to end muscle antibodies. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not M squared. <laughs> Not M squared. Um, and so, and that's just serum. So you just send out a couple of mils of serum to UC David and not UC Davis, UC San Diego. And then, um, yeah, the neuro comparative neuro yeah, lab, the comparative neuro lab, um, with Diane Shelton and a positive titer here is going to be basically diagnostic. So if you get back that there are antibodies, well, those antibodies are specific to those muscles of mastication. So that's basically your slam dunk, which is nice. So that, I mean, hopefully that's as simple of diagnostics as it needs to be. Right. <laughs> um, you could do some skull rads or CD. Do you guys do skull rads very often? No. Practices? No. Yeah. We really don't either, but we Only have if a- we're looking for something. I yeah. guess it's not we'll get them sent to us from primary vets because they don't have a CT. Right. If we're, we're imaging the head, like we're CTing. That's how we are. So yeah. Just yeah. Well, often. I've had a couple clients come in for like potential like rhinoscopy procedures, but don't want to move forward with like anesthesia and stuff like that. And they'll ask us to take radiographs of the, the skull, but it's, it's not ideal. It's not, I don't, I'm not a fan. Yeah. I'd rather just- CT challenging position wise yeah. yeah like and you don't always see i mean like especially like there's when we're so looking for soft views. tissue tumors yeah right. I was say, there's so many views you'd have to do to like really fully evaluate the skull that you might as well just do the ct <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'd probably cost the same in the long run yeah exactly yeah. yeah um so you could do skull rounds just to evaluate um tmj for for tmj disease but ct is probably going to be more sensitive to that stuff too so again do they have some sort of like arthritic changes in their um tmj joint or is there some inflammation in the bone there that's making it challenging do they do they have some weird tooth root absence or something Mm -hmm. that's like bothersome there um so you could do those sorts of things we could do mri also especially if there's some level of concern for some of those other neuropotential problems, so like trigeminal nerve disease or brainstem disease. So especially if they have um, other neurologic deficits, like on their neuro exam. So largely, these masticatory myositis patients neurologically are very normal, except that they can't open their mouth um, mm. because of the muscles. So they usually have a normal neuro exam, but if you have any abnormal findings come up on the neuro exam, then probably worth doing some of these more invasive testing just to make sure. Because yeah, because I, I would imagine like um, blink reflex, like I, I would imagine that's a big one because that's not a 2M muscle, right? Correct. So they should have normal yes eye movement, pupillary right. reflex, that kind of thing. Right. So yeah, if you start to see um, some deficits in their cranial nerve exam, then maybe it is more like a trigeminal mm. nerve issue um, or even a facial nerve, or they could even have some brainstem disease that's only showing up in some of these cranial nerve exam things. Um, so yeah, if you have more than just, they can't open their mouth, you should probably do some more intense diving into diagnostics too. Um, we can do muscle biopsies. Um, so a lot of times, well, not a lot of times we offer to do this plus the titer, 
um, because these two things together would be like the absolute A plus definitive diagnosis. You know, if you have mm -hmm. the abnormalities on the muscle biopsies and a positive titer, then, um, then you get to pat yourself on the back for <laughs> <laughs> finding the answer. Right. Um, but so the muscle biopsy is going to help tell us the degree of muscle destruction that's happening um, and kind of the level of fibrosis too. Because if they come in really, really late in the disease and it's become quite chronic, then, um, you know, we we're probably not, if the muscle's fibrosing, then we're, we're really not going to be able to correct that. Because they don't, it's not like, because once the damage is done, right they can't really reverse that. Is that kind of the idea? Right. So first the muscle is going to atrophy, which is just like, if you have your arm in a cast because you broke it, your arm muscles atrophy because you're not using them, but it doesn't mean that they're gone forever, right? You get your cast off, you do some physical therapy, you end up back to normal with really chronic, um, changes that haven't been addressed that atrophy can eventually turn into fibrosis which just basically means instead of being muscle tissue it's fibrous tissue which does right. not expand and contract <laughs> so then it just kind of solidifies into this kind of non-usable tissue so once we mm -hmm. get to that fibrosis point we really can't do much to fix it so now it's just kind of a salvage issue you know mm -hmm. so that's why the biopsy can be helpful too is that we can see oh my gosh there's tons of fibrosis or there's only a little bit of fibrosis. So if we intervene now, then they hopefully will get back to normal. It can kind of help prognostically a little bit, you know. Um, we can also do electromyograms or EMGs. So we just stick a little needle in the muscle. I think we talked about this, right? Mm -hmm. You stick a needle in and look to see if there's muscle activity, which is gonna show up like some waveforms. But, I've seen uh, this done like once or twice. It's really cool. <laughs> I'm like, I it like it reminded they me like of acupuncture like a, needles. They they're about that size. They're usually yeah. like yeah, like 29 gauge or 20. And they're really gauge, long. Like then they have the electrical cord attached. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's like the the screen that makes me think of um kind of like ECG waves, but it is. I mean, it is, it's an electromyogram instead yeah. of an electrocardiogram. So it's, it's still looking at the electrical activity of a muscle. It's just a different muscle, right? It's not yeah. the heart, <laughs> Yeah. but this would be, you know, the temporalis muscle, for example. So you stick a needle in and the heart, when you're measuring electrical activity as it's beating, you get the QRS waveform, right? You should get a constant waveform. In theory. <laughs> Theoretically, right? If you aren't getting that waveform, that's concerning, right? Because that means yeah. the heart muscle isn't a little. beating. Um, so we want the opposite thing to happen. Because in a muscle that's not being used, that's just laying there quietly on the table, mm. if we stick a needle in and there's lots of activity happening, then that's abnormal. You know what I mean? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so we want a flat line in an electromyogram because <laughs> that means it's it's relatively normal. Some of that is sensitive. But if they were to, to move, you would expect it to. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And when you first stick the needle in, it should it'll make a bunch of noise too because you're stimulating the muscle and stuff. But well, yeah, I would hope that my muscles would do something if they were being stuck <laughs> right. in needles. Right. Some sort it's, of twitch. Yeah. Because does it um does the the EMG, does it put like electrical pulses at all? No. Or is it literally just measuring? No, it's a, it's a spontaneous potential. So we're just, oh, okay. the only simulation we're giving is the needle going in. There is, we're not sending in any 
electrical activity or anything. Well, that makes sense then that it would be quiet then once the movement of the needle is stopped. Yeah, because then there's other tests that we can do, not usually for this, but there's like, for example, this is getting a little off topic, but <laughs> oh, we, we never do that around here. <laughs> there are, for example, there's um, another version of uh, electrodiagnostic testing called nerve conduction velocity. Mm-hmm. And so in a similar way, we're putting needles, needle electrodes into their body. Um, but with this, we are stimulating them. So this is a um, uh, we're sending an impulse of electricity into their body and then measuring how fast the nerve conducts its impulse, you know? Oh, okay. So Maybe we can that's see what like, I've done is it what too I've slow? Seen done. Yeah. So that one you're making their muscle twitch and then we're recording. Does the nerve have an appropriate waveform? Mm. Does it, is it fast enough? Cause if it's too slow, maybe that's concerning, you know? So that's a little bit different, but so for the EMG, which we wouldn't do for this, this, sort of disease really right. the only thing would be the um electromyogram <clears throat> just to see if there's activity in the muscle when it's not moving um and this is something that's kind of cool because this is this is a skill that can be done by technicians too and doesn't you're just sticking needles in different parts of the muscle and recording what happens so right um, similar to just getting an ecg you just attach the electrodes and hit record right it's right. the same idea um, it takes, you know, some training to understand what you're looking for and things like that. But, um, and I'm guessing you could potentially like record it and print it out depending on the machine that you have type thing. Yeah. That's what we do. If I, if I stick a needle in and some weird stuff starts to happen, I record it and then uh, we can print out, you know, sheets that say, look here, (laughs) (laughs) this is weird. And then the docs are like, yeah, that's pretty weird. And then, you know. So it's a very niche area of, <laughs> of neurology because there's not a lot of specialties that even have this sort of capability. Um, right. Yeah. Cause largely it's not, it's not super diagnostic of anything in particular. It's just an extra like little box to tick of like, if this is abnormal, that might mean this too, you know? Right. Um, so not a lot of places have those available, but if you do, then you can do that. So uh, treatment for these guys uh, is typically going to be outpatient. There's not usually a huge need for hospitalization. The only exception I could really think of is if they had gotten themselves to the point where they're severely malnourished or dehydrated and you needed to correct that situation um, while providing treatment for the myositis. But Mm. almost always these guys end up just going home with some meds. At least in my, in my facility, that's what happens. Yeah. I don't um, think I've ever seen these guys hospitalized. Yeah. Unless they're hospitalized again for like something else entirely. And incidentally, right. we're like, oh, okay. Here's your <laughs> like, problem oh, too. you got an aspiration pneumonia and you have this. Great. Correct. Great. Um, so treatment specifically is going to involve immunosuppressive doses of steroids, often for several weeks with a really slow taper. It's probably not going to be quite as dramatically slow as like the meningitis type of taper, but certainly not the general practice like four day. <laughs> it's going to yeah. probably be at least a couple months of kind of slowly reducing um, to the lowest effective dose, hopefully to none dose, but that just depends on the 
patient, you know, most of the time they respond really well and usually fairly quickly, like within a day or two, they're um, much less sore and painful kind of eating and doing things a little bit more normally, unless they have, it's again, really, really chronic and they've already fibrosed their muscles and have lost that functional ability. Um, and then it's good to keep in mind, this is an autoimmune thing, so they could relapse too. So even if we get it under control now, and even if we do happen to get them off the pred, it's worth keeping in mind that maybe, you know, six months, a year, two years from now, it might pop back up again and we'll have to start over, you know? Hmm. Um, you could use other immunosuppressives, uh, concurrently to produce pred side effects if you wanted. So those like mycophenolate or cyclosporin type stuff, especially if you need a really high dose. I can't say off the top of my head. I don't feel like I've ever had a patient that's been on anything other than prednisone. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I might be making that up and maybe I'm just forgetting, but uh, I feel like most of the time it's just, it's just been pred basically. Um, and then the owners yeah. might need to experiment a little bit with, uh, ways to make eating easier for their pets. So is soft food a little bit better um, because it gives them some something to bite on, but it's not hard or wet food better because it's easier to kind of prehense the wet food or whatever they might have to experiment while they're recovering. And then if, again, these are the really chronic ones that are never really going to be functional again, you know, figure out what works for them in their current state, because that's probably what they're going to have to do. Mm. definitely do you um do you guys ever do like pain medication going we can home? do like yeah we I would can, guess until the steroids really kick in yeah we can do um sometimes we'll do kind of a short course of like gabapentin or something just to maybe kind of ease some of the ouchiness mm. um like maybe five days worth of it or something but yeah um, just give depends on it depends on where they're at in the in the process of this mm. and how painful they are. And then, um, once the pride kicks, kicks in, hopefully it's kind of unnecessary Got it. to continue, you know? Yeah. Um, and then what clients can, can expect for their pets overall, this is a great thing to be told right? <laughs> <laughs> generally, you know, um, aside from maybe having some persistent atrophy or reduced jaw range of motion, depending on where they are in their condition and knowing that this is something that might kind of come and go for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, they live happy lives. They're usually very happy when they come in and don't really, you know, the dogs don't know anything's really wrong. <laughs> mm. So they don't have anything to be sad about really. So, um, and they generally don't die from this. So, <laughs> so this is a good, good uh, diagnosis to have in the grand scheme of things. Um, Long-term goals, really, we just want to improve their comfort and function as much as we can. So um, doing the steroids to help reduce the inflammation so that hopefully the atrophy might resolve and we might get them much more functional again. Um, might not be 100% normal, but hopefully better. And then, like I said, you might have to, the owners might just have to make some adjustments to how they feed their dogs. So follow-up for these guys usually are going to involve some frequent rechecks during the steroid tapering so that we can see their response to treatment. We can see how they're doing overall, be able to have that communication with the owners to get a sense for how they feel about things are going. And, um, you know, if they are, if they were kind of undernourished because of having trouble eating, or are we putting weight back on again and that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. 
and then otherwise it's just the annual biannual checkups just for maintenance and annual health reasons you know mm -hmm. um and then if they relapse then we'll have to go back to more frequent meetups chats whatever <laughs> do you um do you know like so i know like imajitp and some of those other ones um can be like a secondary disease to other stuff do you know it could have you ever heard of 2m being like secondary to anything not in, not that i know of and not that anything that i was reading uh as i was um writing this stuff up so i thought it was a couple weeks ago so i can't remember super well now no i, I was gonna say i, don't, <laughs> I feel like i, don't I remember feel like there being like yeah maybe polymyositis could go along with this so maybe sometimes you might see both things kind of simultaneously but but like generally it's not like, like a thing you know not that I saw no okay. I don't I don't remember hearing that there was but I was just yeah. like you know since it is technically an autoimmune like do yeah. we know of like and I don't know being a primary and this being secondary, but right. Yeah. I don't know. Cause you know, and, and most of the literature you look at, it just basically says like, we don't know why this happens. It just does. Right. So maybe there's just, that's a void of research that who knows mm -hmm. in 30 years, maybe they'll be like, oh gosh, any dog that has blah, 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 adrenal, whatever the heck. <laughs> don't go blaming the adrenal glands. I see how that is. <laughs> or, you know, like yeah. with the myasthenics, they're like, oh, if they have a thymoma, then it's more right. likely that they'll develop myasthenia. So maybe there is some underlying thing and just nobody's really figured that out yeah. at this point. And maybe that's because it's such a quote unquote benign problem to have that most well, dogs and do I don't fine. Like and so do we. It's super common one either. It's not super common. Yeah. I mean, in my career, probably once a year we get one. Yeah. I was going to say, I've probably seen three or yeah. four over my career so yeah yeah so it just doesn't come up very often and then yeah like I said it's so such a benign thing that you do some amount of treatment and they get better and so what is the point of doing like whole body is there some underlying reason for right. this to have started like eh. <laughs> right I mean there are those people that just need to know I suppose but right right um and then some other option this is one of those areas that um, complementary medicine, I guess, could be really helpful in these patients. Um, there's not a lot of literature out there specific to this, but uh, just using some thinking skills on my own, potentially doing something like laser therapy. So just mm. using the um, cold lasers to stimulate the muscle tissue, maybe that would help relieve some of the pain. Maybe it would help improve right function a little bit faster potentially. Um, and then even something like acupuncture, I suppose could be helpful as well. Um, and those, these are some of those things that, you know, there's not a lot of evidence to say it helps, but there's nothing to really say it would be harmful either. So right. it could have some benefit with pain relief. It could, who knows, it's not going to hurt. So if you want to try it, try it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. I mean, and there's, you know, there's other, other types of things like that, that you could potentially try to like the, the CC loop stuff. And mm. even um, for all I know, maybe massage, if you're gentle enough with it, maybe massaging their joint or their muscles on their head, maybe that would help. Mm. I don't know. Um, so that's kind of it. 
it's a pretty like i said it's pretty it's a not, nice and straightforward yeah. one it's pretty straightforward <laughs> not very heavy on the info <laughs> The one kind of thing that I thought would be, if you don't remember anything else about this, then maybe remember <laughs> remember this, that um, if you're suspicious of this or you know this is what's wrong with the dog, like do not force their mouths open. It hurts really bad. They physically can't do it and trying to force them to do it's not gonna help. So, you know, if you have to, give them their medications and you're trying to pill them or something and mm. you know trying to yank their mouth open is really it's it's very painful for them so um don't force it even if they're under anesthesia don't force it <laughs> right um you know I you just have to come up be, with some alternatives yeah i was just thinking like if you're especially medications right if if you can do liquid steroids yes that's an idea yeah um you know, or if they if, won't just eat it. Yeah. Unless they, <laughs> they eat it. Um, or you can do injectable, like, you know, not that you would do it long-term, but maybe like for the first week you do Dex SP sub Q. Right. Um, and then, you know, once they feel like their jaws Have moving better, function. then we can, you know, switch over to like just a tablet, like normal. Right. Um, so that's, that is, that's a really good idea to just, you know, kind of remind clients. <laughs> yeah depending on how bad it is. Yeah. It's not like, you know, it's, I, I feel like some people think of it, you know, we've, you have like a sore, your shoulder's a little bit sore and it helps to stretch it. So people think if you mm. like force their mouth open, it's going to stretch it out and make it feel better. And it, it doesn't. So just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the, the idea with this is if it's a swollen muscle, that means that this, there's no space. So right. there's trying nowhere to move it, else it's, to it's move. not going to help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like trying to eat a sandwich after you've had your wisdom teeth out. I remember that specifically. This is like totally off topic, but <laughs> after I had my wisdom teeth out when I was like a little teenager or whatever, I was like, it was like I'm two days afterwards or whatever. <laughs> and my, you know, my jaws all sore and stuff. And I was so hungry. I wanted to eat a sandwich. And I like, couldn't physically open my mouth to put the sandwich in my mouth. And I was like crying because of it. Like, like, I, want a sandwich. I just want to eat the sandwich. <laughs> like I was tired of milkshakes surprisingly, because I love milkshakes. <laughs> right uh so similar if you've ever experienced that that if you physically can't open your mouth it is frustrating and having somebody force it's not gonna be helpful (laughs) it's the tip of the week all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this for the tip of the week tip of the week is 2m does not mean masticatory myositis it means the 2m the two muscle fiber, no, the muscle fiber type two. Muscle fiber type 2M. <laughs> oh God, it's, it's a whole thing. Muscle fiber type 2M. Yeah. All right. I feel like that's the tip of the week. <laughs> Good one. Because we're like, oh, what? <laughs> and now for the question of the week. <laughs> How old were you <laughs> when you learned what 2M really meant? <laughs> like how long have you been in the field? How <laughs> long have you been in the field <laughs> when you learned what 2M really stood for? Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> That's really sad. <laughs> it's, okay, well, it's 2M antibodies. Yeah, which is... <laughs> it's a 2M antibody. Antibodies. Duh. Tighter. <laughs> oh my god so funny <laughs> uh, 
See? Well, those I little simple details. Yeah. I, I did too, girl. <laughs> this is why, again, we, we get you on here. So That's why you read um, up and study and things. Right. <laughs> this is why you don't just get stuck in your knowledge that you have. <laughs> uh, well, anything else, Miss Brittany, that you would like to impart upon us with your neurology wisdom? I mean, I don't think so. Hopefully this uh, whole series has helped, maybe helped people realize it's not all super scary. I don't know. <laughs> That's always the impression I get as people find neuro very scary and intimidating. It's not, you just have to learn what the rules are. Well, and I think it, uh, we've kind of talked about this before. It's neurology, cardiology, those, those, some of those bigger ones, right? Like it's not something that you see every single day and like, Oh, I you know. see it every day. <laughs> well, but I mean, like you don't see the muscles, yes. right? You don't yeah. see the spinal cord. You, you don't see that thing. And so I think it's a little bit harder for people to relate to it. But if you think about it, it's very straightforward. I mm-hmm. mean, it's electrical pathways. It's not like magic happens like endocrine. I feel like endocrine, the hormones are magic, right? See, that's why I don't like endocrine stuff. Cause I feel like everything's like, and then some stuff happens. And then and this hormone stimulates this hormone that makes this thing do. The and thing I feel like everything in endocrine sounds the same. Really? Like, cause <laughs> I, I love endocrine. You remember like back in like, I think I was in like middle school and we would, re- we would create like Rube Goldberg machines. Like that's endocrine for me. I don't even know what a Rube Goldman machine. What a Rube a, Goldberg machine? It's a machine that has a purpose, but it's like unnecessary. Like it is. Instead of just turning on a light switch with your hand, you set up a bunch of pulleys and stuff so that when you push the book off the table, a machine turns the oh, light switch on. You know what I mean? It's like I didn't know that's what that was called but I know what that is. Yeah. That's now like, you know what it's called. Now I learned endocrine something is. else. <laughs> that's how but endocrine that, is for me though. Like it seems correct. unnecessary because you could just skip a couple steps, but like you just jumped forward. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like Everything, if this one hormone just did all of this, right. it would save you all of these other steps. I feel that's like everything starts with an A in endocrine, like, right. There's like angiotensin and aldosterone and <laughs> adrenal and like it's just it just all sounds the same to me oh my god that's yeah amazing. i need to take my Yours own sounds the same i know to I, need to, I know i need to take my own advice and go to some endocrine lectures so that i can actually learn something instead of just being like endocrine's dumb <laughs> right because the endocrine does affect your neuro it actually correctly yeah it does so i should care (laughs) and sometimes they're interlinked like in our which episode was that oh that was the was that the pheo chromocytoma episode Mm, i don't know you were very excited that it was a bridge between the two oh yeah wasn't it hepatic encephalopathy oh it was hepatic encephalopathy Mm-hmm. Um, but same for like pheos too. You know? Yeah, yeah, same yeah. thing. We yeah. we get dogs that come in for weird stuff, and then we're like, oh, it's a pheo. <laughs> You're like, go away, <laughs> not it. <laughs> Here you go, medicine. What would you like to do? About right. It? Oh my gosh, so true. <laughs> or like um, insulinoma. We get insulinoma sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. 
definitely i can see that i like those i like them that they're like it's just an easy diagnose thing you know mm-hmm. but like, not so easy to like fix correct right it's a bummer but mm. like, oh, yeah yeah you're a golden retriever and your glucose <laughs> is three yeah. <laughs> you're seizing yeah. your brains out huh. oh but then you're fine <laughs> fascinating right. yeah right. and your bg's 40 mm, and yeah. you're walking <laughs> yeah. um, no other symptoms other than seizure <laughs> right nothing else okay cool staggering before right. seizure sounds about right right well thank you ladies Aww. for letting me help and be a part and kind of bringing me along for the ride it's been fun we're so happy that you were here um, Jordan probably more so than me because Jordan didn't have to write notes for these episodes. I didn't. I got, <laughs> I got a wonderful break. Um, and I think I, from what we've heard from people, they've really enjoyed, you know, getting more neuro stuff, which is fun. And we may just hold you to it and uh, make you come back at some point. Sure. She's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know if you guys have any questions about anything. We still know how to get a hold of Brittany. So, yes. <laughs> so if you guys have questions, we can definitely ask. Um, we hope you guys are having a wonderful week, staying sane, keep getting your educational learn on. And uh, unless you guys have anything else, I think, uh, I think we're, we're out of here for this week. Okay. All right. I will see you next week, Jordan. Brittany, you won't be on the podcast, but I will be talking to you soon. <laughs> we will see each other soon. Yeah. Right. All right, tomorrow. guys. Have a great <laughs> oh, this tomorrow. Have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.